today on Kudgan Radio. Hey everybody, Code Pen Radio 367. I have an old pal joining me here on Code Pen Radio, Micah Godbolt. How you doing, Micah? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you're just over the over the range, as over it were. Over the range me, through the woods. Yes. Yeah, Portland. quite literally. Uh-huh. Portland. Yeah. I'm over in Bend. So yeah, it's funny how they're just far enough away that you don't get to see your pals in one or the other as often as you might like but still it feels good to talk to feels, exactly a good local fella yeah close to the state lots of stuff we could talk about you know it doesn't hurt to have somebody that uses a profile photo with a code pen logo on the hat you know it's kind of <laughs> feels like know, an easy way to get on this show i, I lost that hat a while ago and i was super bummed i need to order another one because it was one of my favorite oh, hats. no you can't those are those are long gone man oh, i have oh, a personal even, stash which if you really are nice I I, apparently i'm gonna have to come out to bend so i can get one of those hats because maybe I that left should be it, the bar yeah you i think i left visit. it at a conference or something and i was so mad that i lost that hat because it oh, was I'm a sure classic it was stolen you know <laughs> It's sold on black market at these days. <laughs> yeah, those are cool though. That's when I formed my love for legacy brand hats. They're mm-hmm. just so nice. Anyway, maybe we'll order some more someday. But getting out of the merch game doesn't doesn't bother me. Not exactly our core business. No doubt. Might as well leave them wanting. So so you I and you're at Microsoft. Correct. Uh, I've been yeah. here five and a half years now, which is the longest stint I've literally ever had at any single job in my entire life. So it feels weird, but good. Most Microsoft employees I know are uh, pleasantly secure and pleased with their role. Yeah, which it's is been cool. fun to kind of watch the company. I mean, I joined again five and a half years ago, and, and the mm-hmm. company has changed dramatically since then and just continues to improve and do good with their choices. And I'm just always happy to kind of see that and um, see that even play out in the market. And just it's it's fun to see what we're doing and be part of it. And real allies of the web for at least that much time. Which, again, is a huge change. Like, five and a half years ago, it was kind of like, uh, and now, like, IE11 is officially, like, dead, 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 dead. Um, yeah. We're doing a ton of great work in Chromium, and just we're trying to push mm-hmm. everything forward as much as we can. Yeah, and actually, like, provably doing that, which is cool. So that's, 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 I don't know how involved you are with that. I think of you as just during our, during our heyday of, of conference action and stuff, you were the front end architecture guy, or at least kind of, kind of tried to pin that term down. I, I did. And, and when I actually, I wrote a book called Front End Architecture, um, and O'Reilly came back and said, well, how about we say front end architecture for design systems? And I was like, eh. It's not really, I don't really know what this design system thing is. It's more front-end architecture, but sure, why not? And that was a smart marketing move on whoever's choice that was. Oh, they were right, the, it turns yeah, out. Yeah, they were. That's yeah. totally the term that took off, and it'd be silly not to no, do that Is that now. what you meant? You you kind of were meant to say design systems in yeah, a way? Yeah, I didn't know what a design system was. When I, mm. when I built my first design system, I was working at Red Hat, and I, they basically asked, we had all this UI code and they were like, how can we use this UI code from our website over on this other website? And I was like, Whew. well, first you got Bootstrap and then you got like all the CSS and all the JavaScript and really got to like take all of our CSS and JavaScript and then somehow untangle all this HTML and then you can move it over. Right. Or I can just rewrite all of it and make it more like 
portable and it'd be easier to move it. And they're like, okay, go ahead and do that. I'm like, they bought the rewrite. Oh, wow. They bought the rewrite. And, and I was like, um, oh, oh, you called my bluff. Well, shoot, I guess I better start. And uh-huh. then they asked how many times I'd done that before. And I was like, you'll be the first. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so yeah, I, I had no idea really what design system was. There was, it was very still new at that point. So I was calling it front end architecture um, because backend architects were a huge thing in Drupal. Like they came on the table early and they like made all the decisions about how we're going to build all our content types and, and okay. how the site's going to get pulled together. And then they kind of like put all the markup together and went, okay, front end guys, make this look like it's supposed to look like in the Photoshop docs. And right. I'm always like, you know, if only there was a front-end architect there at the same time as the back-end architects, we'd have a better product at the end of the day when it gets spat out. So that's basically what design system turned into being, is the product that, it, that the, uh, the front-end architects would build to be able to turn back-end code or back-end des- uh, con- uh, intent into front-end code. So we, we got there eventually, just a little bit, little bit of time, and it was, uh, it's been a fun there's journey. some st- like you know everybody you know, I don't know open up the amount of seats at the table in the beginning and it makes me r- reminds me of in a way yeah I think or, you know maybe around that same time during my my brief stint at SurveyMonkey somehow that I, I think I maybe raised my hand for it like you did. And I still have like a really old GitHub repo that's like SurveyMonkey design patterns or something, which was before, you know, we, and then I call it design patterns. I think I got that right. Cause I know that I, I just feel like there's still a distinction between a design system and design patterns. Whereas design patterns are like a smaller circle in the Venn diagram where it's just like, this is the thing that's a drop down menu or whatever. Whereas a design system, probably you can think about the tokens and you can think about, other uses that I don't know. And and patterns are often and... compositions of lots of other components. Like this pattern mm. is, you know, something we use on this page, which is 10 different components put together in a particular way or something like that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be exposed with a, a single API or anything. But I remember at the time, our goal was just web, just web usage and just like, I want to have some named things that I can compose pages out of. I want our own bootstrap, in other words. <clears throat> and that, in a, a, I'm sure it worked out. Who knows where they're at today? But I, um, <laughs> it's crazy how much it's taken over, hasn't it? I mean, my gosh. Yeah, pretty much. And everyone's building their own. I mean, we're investing tons of money at Microsoft into trying to build a design system um, right now mm. because we we had a, a several kind of patchwork systems that built out of different parts of the company. Um, one that okay. built out of Office, which is what, what I got involved in. Another one built out of Teams. Another one built out of Azure and like all these different systems. And this is just web and like all these different design systems built out that, you know, as we tried to unify on a single like design language, you still have this problem of, well, you have all these different teams building these controls out, you know, and they're all slightly different. And then how do we take an experience from one team and then render it in someone else's uh, application? Like how does an, you know, uh, office calendar show up somewhere else um, and look correct? So a lot of the work was done to try and unify those together, bring those in a common system, have all those tokens and, and everything is required to actually make that scale across. Well, at least you know that that high level basic of we have a problem and we need to solve it for our problem. Even that I feel like gets conflated sometimes. I feel like the most famous desire, at least it was for a long time, was lightning design system from Salesforce, which was 
and still is for them. But it, but if you Google it, you get this, you know, you get this page that's like, here's our alignment utilities and stuff. And that's really neat to look at, but it's like not for you. You know, I always find that confusing. Like, who is this for? I feel like every design system needs like a big banner at the top of the page that's like, hello, looksy lose. you know? <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to see how we do things, but this is not really for you to download and use. Where, But that gets confusing because like Google made material design and they have advocates that are like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not really for Google. It's for you. Yeah. And uh, that's so different and weird. I, I think Salesforce is a similar position to Microsoft in that we have a lot of third-party um, developers who are trying to build experiences that fit into our experiences. So whether you're building something in SharePoint and it's your app, I mean, even, even Salesforce builds stuff that shows up in SharePoint. So they would, might possibly use our uh, design systems to build out dropdowns and buttons and so forth so that their experiences look like Office when they sit inside of an Office application. Um, so we, we certainly have first party versus third party and ensuring that the, the product works for both. You know, there are, are the primary focus is definitely making sure that first parties can really build on it and it's strong for that. But always with that mind, it is open source. We know that we have an audience that needs to use those. Uh, and we, we, meet, we ensure that, that, you know, that we're not breaking them and keeping them from being able to use that product. That's kind of my favorite use case is the like, this is for us. But it's also if you're building third party stuff that's kind of ostensibly at least for us. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's still going to benefit us by, and I think that's kind of it. It's still, it's for the benefit of us because we want those other companies to be able to build experiences that fit seamlessly in our experiences. And it's not necessarily for them to go out and like build their own apps mm-hmm. and do cool things, which I've heard of people doing it and it's fine and it's great. But, you know, our, our main focus is definitely so you can build experiences that look like Office or Teams or whatever when they're inside of those native applications because we we do host so many you know third party applications inside of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these are the problems you're thinking about at work, huh? That's every cool. day, every day. <laughs> cool. This episode of CodePen Radio is brought to you in part by Linode. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com. Visit linode.com slash CodePen and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. Award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user. Ease of use, ease of setup. It's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Linode offers the industry's best priced performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high memory, GPUs. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible, allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com slash codepen and create a free account and you'll get a hundred bucks in credit. Thanks for the support, Linode. You know, it just ought to serendipitous timing a little bit as to, at least to fuel the conversation a smidge more as there's this uh, <clears throat> Josh Komao guy. I, I you know, I, I've never met Josh, but he's this great blogger and has this big CSS course lately. And I don't know if you've come across his site, but um, he uh, he published an article on he mostly writes on his own blog, but said this is my first smashing magazine article. And it just was came out yesterday. And it was called You Don't Need a UI Framework. And he was pointing at things like material design or bootstrap. And 
you know, part of it to me is like, hey, grain of salt, this guy sells a course that's about (laughs) not using UI frameworks. So cool. But he's a great writer and he made some good points in there. And I think my favorite point of it, because I think he gets asked, you know, like, why would I, isn't there a world in which especially with how great full stack frameworks are. And like, if you have some, a little bit of backend chops, you could like throw up a Next.js site and throw a nice modern data store behind it and build a CRUD app so fast, but you have no design chops. I feel like there's lots of people in that bucket these days, perhaps coming out of code schools, whatever. Because I think, you know, having like great design skills is still like a little bit rare in our industry. Why wouldn't I just throw one of these and there's a proliferation of them really pretty beautiful pattern libraries at a at a site and that seems to make some kind of obvious sense you know like, yeah why well, would the same I? reason that I'm, I'm not writing my my node code from scratch i'm not writing my own version of node you know i'm, I'm just using the old abstraction ladder. yeah it's like where do i want to spend time investing work in um, and for a lot of people that are building out even a, a demo or a school app or proof of concept or something like, there's no reason you have to write a bunch of custom UI code. I mean, there's, there's really good code out there that is accessible and extensible and performance. And if that's not your focus, if you're not trying to build a cool UI framework, like that's going to do you really well. I mean, throw some tailwind in, throw some material in, throw in some fluent UI. Mm. Like, well, that's the where I'd catch you. I think that's the interesting aspect to this because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that make that choice that are like, yeah, I get a lot of benefit from picking one of these things off the shelf. And Josh's point was, no, you don't though, actually. <laughs> okay. I should read this article because honestly, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, whatever. It's a little... It's, it's just great clickbait for, for this clickbait. time and place. <laughs> just, a, just a little. But I, the, and then there's another point, though, that like there, you see a lot of this usage of these libraries. And then you at some like level, I don't know what, what you'd call that scale. I'm talking about popularity or usage. And then at some point, really bigger, successful products, you just don't see it anymore. You know, maybe at Microsoft you do or something because they're tr- trying to wrangle it in or Google or something. But there's most like big famous sites d- roll it in house. They don't just like use it. Well, and that's again, I think it, it comes down to economy of scale. And if you have the, you know, the staffing then to be able to do that is, yeah, you're going to have a lot more flexibility by rolling something of your own. You know, if something needs to get fixed or changed, you have control over you know, the number of tokens and how styles yeah. are done and where they're generated. But there's a certain point of a smaller team where you don't have a staffing for that. So you're, yeah. you, you don't have the money to invest in it yet. It could, it could be a, a staff thing, but here's a point he makes, I'll read. No matter how comprehensive the library is, it'll never have all the pieces you need. No. Every app and every website is unique and there'll always be special requirements. Creating a brand new component, this is the clutch sentence, I think. Creating a brand new component that blends in with all the existing third-party design systems is, emphasis his, really friggin' hard. And I, <laughs> I, I think that's a good point. This is, oh, it has 85% of what we need. Let's just build the rest of the 15%. You're gonna, like, suck up that, yeah, <laughs> that last 15%. Yeah. You're gonna, like poop the bed out i think <laughs> well and that's the, it's the 80 20 rule where if if you can get enough value out of that 80 percent and get something shipped and be good with it great 
But when you're looking at like, okay, we, we've shipped something that's good. Now let's refine and get that 20% just awesome. It's going to, you're going to start hitting all those edge cases. You're going to start hitting all of the friction areas. You're going to start hitting the places where we, we want to do it this way, but the design system wants to do it that way. How do we reconcile that? And that's that 20% is where all that gets hit and run into. So, you know, that's going to happen every time that you scale and, and it, it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, we're, we're trying to figure that out as well as we're, as we have a, as we try and come up with a good model for creating new components, um, yeah. we're trying to make that better. And it's, it's a hard thing. Cause again, there's requirements from our teams of like, we need to build X, Y, Z. And we also have the staffing to do X, Y, Z. So when we have an extensibility model, we can assume that there's going to be some, like a large number of reasonably well-paid engineers that are willing to put the effort in to make that customization. You're not always going to have that. Like a, a solo entrepreneur working on their little app isn't going to have probably the time and effort and attention to do what we're expecting them to do with our controls, because we're you know we we kind of have a different expectation of who's going to be using them. So it's it's tough. You you're never going to build a system that works for everybody. Um, and that's a point where you go, well, we just need to build our own um, and make it to work the way we want to. And it's a tough decision. When, you know, do you start with that? Do you cross that, that boundary halfway through and just do a little UI rewrite? Do you blend two together for a while mm. until you take it all out? Um, and that's, you know, that's every CTO's nightmare. About how do we make this decision and how do we know it's right? And what's going to happen if we make the wrong decision? Um, you know, but those, that's typically the path you'll go through of, we can go really fast, get up the 80% mark. And then we hit 80%, like, okay, how do we get that next 20%? Is it important to get that next 20%? What's, what sacrifices are we willing to live with? Because there's, there's always going to be some kind of sacrifice. Fascinating. Looking at some of your... Uh, your pens just for fun. I know we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, but let's, let's try to, uh, connect the dots here a little bit. There's some, you know, some of the ones that get harded the most are like ones that are named something really, really normal, like responsive multi-level nav. Actually, that's a, that's a great story though. That was a, um, that was one of my first pens that I wrote when I was first learning really web at all. And there was, I think Brad Frost had did a done a website that was like responsive UI patterns or something like that. And maybe there's a link in there. Um, mm -hmm. I might point out to it. And um, and so he, they had a whole bunch of these different patterns. And I was like, oh, these are really cool. And what I want to do is recreate some of them, um, like pure, like maybe it's a bunch of JavaScript stuff. And I want to try and do it only with CSS or something. But I was using that as as a um, uh, kind of a, something to model off of and trying to trying to recreate some of them. So um, that really kind of blew up, I think, because of that. And I think maybe even that pattern got added to the page or something. But yes, that was res responsive, like CSS only, like touch navigation. It was hilarious how much that blew up. Um, <laughs> and, and still this day, I think I still get comments on there. And I'm like, don't use this. This is really not the right way. It's probably horribly inaccessible. Like it was an experiment in using CSS, and uh, but it, it was it was fun. It's interesting to kind of have something blow up like that. It was my first experience seeing that. Oh um, yeah, that's another awesome. one. Which I don't know if you're going to jump to next is the um, the multi-column uh, equal height multi-column. Oh, that that, that's one well? that's in your that's in a category itself, and your and your pens. That's but it's it's kind of like a you know. 
you can, <laughs> it would just be so easy today. It's almost hard to wrap your mind around why, th- why this was oh, ever yeah. hard. Well, it's just, it's just flex box at that point. Like it's, it's yeah. Or grid or anything. You know, there's it's, multiple, it's done. but the, in this case, you're floated some boxes and obviously some of them can be taller than other ones because there's no mechanism with float to, to, t- to tell multiple elements to be the same height so thanks javascript you know yes, exactly figure out which ones are all on the same row even that is a little tricky you have to test their top position to make sure that these three or these four or these six or this one or whatever is all in the same row and once you have them figured out figure out what the tallest one is mm-hmm. and, and then set the those. height on them and this is of course all, all of these early pens are all jQueryed up which i really appreciate looking oh, at they're just jQuery out, out the ears yeah, <laughs> um, and, and that was, and I, I definitely, I don't take full credit to that. I'm pretty sure in that pen, I link out to the original. I think the difference was I made it responsive or something. I added a bit more functionality to it. Possibly, it looks like you, you bound it to the resize function too, because it's one thing to do it once, but it's another thing to exactly uh, to be able to do it over time. And actually, the the fun part with with that pen was when I again I, I was at Mark, or sorry, I was at Red Hat when I did my first big design system. Mm-hmm. Um, I came into their code. Um, you know, joined when they're kind of when I'm working on it. I was looking at some of the JavaScript, and I was like, I recognize that. There was literally that resize or the um, the equal height code. I made oh it into gosh. their code base before I even showed up. So no. uh, that, code, that code got around. That, that pen was yeah. uh, that pen was a lot of fun. It's actually not. You could rewrite it today that you know it would be a little bit more efficient and stuff the mo- oh, the most sure. criminal thing is we, we, there was so much of this in the early that the early days of responsive design where we didn't have all the same tools that there was a lot of binding to resize mm-hmm. which was just a performance nightmare so it was yeah nice. i'm sure there's some that's probably that the worst line done and <laughs> yeah it big worked. time back in those days it worked and that was that was the most exciting part yeah it sure did it sure what did. designer didn't want equal height columns yeah, right. And that was back probably in the days where we just put the scripts in the head, too. It was like, yeah, you might as well, mm-hmm. you know. And then you have like no control over the DOM because usually this is like Drupal or something and they're just like spinning DOM out. And the designer is yeah, saying, good point. hey, can those, can those columns be equal size, height? And we're like, no. <laughs> no, but I'll make jQuery do it. <laughs> with, with enough JavaScript, we can make it happen. <laughs> yeah, and we did. And we did. It's interesting to think of the whole you know, the, the the whole forest or whatever at the time. It wasn't mm-hmm. just one thing you can point to. It's a lot of things. I appreciate that insight. That was cool. And so t- let's say today that, let's say this wasn't a, a weird or bad idea, you know, equal height <laughs> columns or a, 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 res- a multi-level menu. Because a multi-level menu is still to this day has, has some complications, you know, Certainly. especially if, was, especially right. mobile and... Yeah, to do it right. So let's say y'all figure out a way to do it right at Microsoft and you Mm -hmm. want to ship it as part of your system or as a component or something. You've got options these days to take it to a more modern problem. How are you going to choose to ship some of these components? Do Do you pick a JavaScript framework in which to make it the foundation of all these components? Or are you more interested in the web component? world or what yeah at microsoft we're, we're kind of hitting all of them um i guess well by all of them i mean react and web components um, <laughs> as, <laughs> the, i know the two big ones. 
<laughs> and native as well. All the natives as well. Um, yeah. I could yeah, see Vue, but I don't know if I could see all making Angular components, you know. Yeah, just... at least not in Microsoft. Um, so yeah, yeah, we've we've talked about Vue, but it's it's again, it's like our product, our product teams use React. And so there's we don't have any financial reasoning to build out Vue components. And again, like our third party model is we want to build out components our first party can use, and then also third party can use to build stuff that fits in first party. So there's there's just not a lot of incentive as, as much as we'd love to. Um, but we are uh, Fluent UI React uh, is the the project that I work on. Obviously, a React project. Um, and having a navigation menu is something we've built a number of times and we're rebuilding now. Um, and is definitely something that needs to be codified in a way that um, can easily be created, um, that has just really good um, you know, developer experience as you, as you build pieces together, um, that can be very performant. Um, as we, uh, we build a lot of controls that show up in just really critical path areas, like say like the office ribbon within, um, uh, within office web. So this, this ribbon that, that gets rendered over and over and over again within really critical applications and has lots of controls in it. When you look at a ribbon, it's just buttons and drop downs and inputs and all sorts of stuff up there. And there's lots of them. So Having those be performant, have those things be themable, have those things be like virtualizable if there's too much content in it. Like there's a lot that goes into making those controls work correctly. Um, and on top of that, making sure those controls are accessible for, for keyboard, make sure they're accessible for things like narrator or voice, uh, any voiceover technology. Um, and then also make sure they work in high contrast mode and you know, all the various high contrast modes and um, you know, focus states and so forth. So again, if we go back to my well, example. it's a lot. It's pen, not a problem you want to solve over and over. <laughs> you want to solve that once. I mean, the yeah. only thing I solved in CodePen was, hey, look, you can do all this stuff with CSS you know, um, hover states or something everything else is broken everything else is horrible in that example and and we've moved on to much more complicated problems now where like yes we can do you know the the interaction of a menu opening and closing with a mouse but we also need that same interaction with a keyboard and correctly with a keyboard and we also need it with narration with like with um with uh, narrator right. on windows and so forth and high contrast mode and so forth. And it's it's a challenge. And then also to do it with various themes so that that menu can look correct when it's sitting inside of Teams and it can, the same control can look correct looking inside of, sitting inside of Outlook for Web. Because um, those are the same controls. There's the same code running the same React uh, inside of the browser or inside of the, um, um, uh, the Electron application or whatever, maybe might have moved on now, but uh, it's the exact same code. And it's it's exciting to see that, to see the same code be able to run in these different super powerful, super complex applications and know that we are contributing to those being consistent, to have the same keyboard and mouse interactions, have the same you know accessibility model. Um, and we know that as we push performance improvements out and bug fixes out, that all those applications get a benefit from that. So that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's huge. A little more surface area to screw up too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> more reason for good testing. And and that was that was my. Oh, big that's what point. I was going to say. Testing, I'm sure, is just massive with those things. You know, you can't ship a bug to Word overnight. <laughs> I've never done that. Yeah, <laughs> and that was my big push with uh, with front end architecture uh, when I first started. It was this idea that. As 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 an, especially in the agency world, as a front end as a front end developer, 
every single project we go into was this bespoke, like, okay, great. We get to build more buttons and drop downs and selects again and again and again and again. Like yeah. every page has a new button and new selects because they're just completely random new DOM. So we're just like, every single thing we do is is new and bespoke and and all our work is just done in, in replicating all those 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 styles for each of the pages. And wouldn't it be great if we could just stop having to build another page of buttons, another page of dropdowns, another page of selects, and we could step back and go, hey, we've already built all the components. We need to build those pages. Now what can we focus on? And, and the answer is always better testing, better accessibility, mm -hmm. better theming. Like we can finally step back from the, uh, the practice of just building out yet another page and actually do more architectural stuff, like building systems around it. And for me, that was that was the exciting thing was being able to step back and go like, okay, we built the basics. They're solid. They're good. Now, how can we make the system even better? That's awesome. Yeah, mm, it's fun. Just it's kind of fun to look at some some old uh, mica pens. <laughs> Not only the popular ones, but it's more interesting almost to click at just like what did you do over time? You're one of the most consistent users I've ever seen in a way. In that. You know, you're like making pens in 2012. It's 2022, by the way. And almost consistently do you make about, you know, it goes up and down a little bit, but 10, 15, 20 pens a month, never missing a month. <laughs> you have like a <laughs> 10 impressive. years yeah, of making pens every month. And I feel like you're, uh, you know, on this podcast, I talk to a lot of like code artists and stuff that have these more emphatic waves that are like, I'm really into this for a minute. And I go, rah. I make a bunch of creative stuff around that, but I, uh, which I, I totally get, but I'm not, uh, not quite a, I wish I was a more like that in a way, yeah. but I'm more of a utilitarian boots on the ground, solving little dumb problems kind of guy, maybe. And so that's what your account looks a lot like my account, I think. And just a little. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always seen, um, cause I, cause dribble was out a bit before code pen. So when yeah. I saw CodePen come on. I was like, "Oh, this is kind of like a you know digital dribble kind of thing." Because yeah, yeah, the homepage and like people doing lots of really amazing, awesome, cool things. And check out my latest, recent, cool, amazing. You know, doing the Mona Lisa with CSS and and, yeah. and all those all those things. Yeah, but for me, I, I I started out with like again, it was some of those proof of concept. Can I take this UI, this picture I see? I remember doing some buttons or some some random UI just saw. A, a Photoshop doc up and like, let me try and build that. And it was just this great environment to be able to do that and quickly iterate and go, oh, cool. I got pretty close to that that picture over there. That's awesome. Or, hey, can I build this this navigation thing? Or can I do this JavaScript mm -hmm. jQuery thing for, for building some equal height? Um, <laughs> but then after that, it moved on as it's... CodePen for me was really a scratch pad of solving problems. Um, and as I've been working within this, this design system for the last five and a half years now, um, CodePen was always, had always been our go-to of, hey, we need a, a repro. So this kind of goes in how the sauce is just made a little bit. But um, uh, you know, we have a public open GitHub repo with mm -hmm. our design system, which means anyone can log issues on our design system. <laughs> and we're also public. Anyone can see these issues that are being written. So uh, we, we really try to tell application teams like, hey, don't be posting like some like internal 
crazy like prototype code kind of thing in there because this is public like remember that um or like you know don't be pointing to internal code um you know this is really an open source thing and and try and treat it as that um the other thing we, we try and push away from is we're we're not in the business to go and debug your application like we will offer whatever advice we can, but it's not our job to like write in, you know, download all of your code, get our environment set up so we can run your app and like debug what's going on going on wrong. Um, I see. Yeah, we obviously just not staff to do that. So if you think there's a bug in our code, you need to kind of prove to us there's a bug in our code, and and saying that, like saying that there's a bug in your app. And it's around somewhere where our code's being used is not enough yeah. for us to go, okay, well, do you know if it's problems in your code or our code? So, so many times it's, can you give us a reduced repro? Can you go and create a code pen? There's the code pen angle. Can you create a code pen using our controls that demonstrate the bug that you see? Because so many times, it's a like, you know, they'll take all the code and drop it in. And I'm like, well, that's not really reduced. Like there's a ton of other stuff going there. Like start pulling stuff out and pulling stuff out until we're left just with our fluent code and the bug. And oftentimes they'll get down to that point where it's just the fluent code. And like, oh, the bug's gone. Wait, where'd the bug go? Kind of thing. Like, oh, the bug was in this other code we wrote with some other thing that they're doing. And oh, that's where the bug is. So getting down to that reduced repro has always been kind of our, let's say our lifeline, but it's, it's been such a key part of us being able to triage bugs properly um, that we needed people to be able to kind of break that down. And even them walking through the debugging process of like start <laughs> stripping stuff away, strip away, strip away until you get down just to the bare essentials of, of this, uh, this reproduction and see if you can figure out where the bug is. Because at that point, makes it a lot easier to figure out what the problem is. And we can also verify, like, if we make this change in our code, will that fix the scenario? And and we we, we have to make those connections. Um, and so for us, CodePen was a really great way to do that because it was it was public, it was easy to share, our code was out on unpackaged, so you could easily pull it in and get those components right in there. That's a kind of a clutch moment, though, is yes. the, the, the publicness of it, that we don't really have a good internal solution. It's like you kind of got to pass that step. So yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe someday. Yep. So we've got, uh, we have an AKA or AKA.ms is the, the Microsoft like, um, you know, mini URL thing. Um, and so if you do AKA.ms slash uh, fluent pen, you will get a code pen nice. that is pre-populated with all of the, um, just the, the basic imports to be able to, you know, render our buttons and drop downs and so forth inside of CodePen. Oh yeah, and that so, totally works. <laughs> yep. So nice. many times they're like, come on, just go there. If you can reproduce the bug in that, put that in the in the GitHub issue, and then we can go to work figuring out what's wrong and come up with a solution for you. Um, if you can't get it in there while you know stripping away all the other stuff, then we can't be confident the problem's actually in our code. And it's hard for us to make a move forward because we don't we don't even always have access to the code they're working in. So that's it's a huge part, a critical part of us being able to do um, do our work as maintainers. Yeah, I suppose I'm sure you get 
terrible issues sometimes. It's some, like some low res screenshot that's just like, yeah. oh, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> We're like, hey, here's a screenshot of our app. It's not working. What's wrong? And like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's almost that's like an emotional thing because I get it. Like, I, I believe me, please preach on about reduced test cases. Like, that's so crucial and vital, not only for big open source maintainers, not for Microsoft, for anybody, students, it's useful for. Mm-hmm. Like, it, the exercise of making a stripped down use case is incredible. Oftentimes, it's a tool for solving your own problem because you'll discover what the thing is, let alone, and then if you can't, getting help is great. You know, it's required for logging the issue. It's just a, it's just great from all angles, you know? And it's also, it's a, it's a skill you learn over time. And, and I think as a front end developer, that was always my go-to was like, let me reduce this down. Like if, if I'm having... I was having a CSS bug recently and I still don't really understand it, but it, it was something where like some code was some, some UI was overflowing, you know, the screen. Oh, I already knew what you were going to say. I'm like, it's probably a min content issue. It's oh, always- it, it ended up being a flex <laughs> box. It, it was, it was, it was just, it was a flex item in a flex container. And I knew the content lower down was kind of big and wide. Mm. Um, Cause we had, it was some demos in our, in our, our storybook. Um, but I didn't see why, like I had, um, Flex I didn't wrap tell or it to flow else. or no, it wasn't wrap. The solution ended up being putting an actual width on it. A flex basis wouldn't do yeah. it. A width actually did it. And I don't even know why. I have no idea why a width in flex basis didn't. Someone tell me, maybe it's a browser bug. I, I think, yeah, that's, I, that's what I was going to say. I don't know how <laughs> but it's, it's that reduced min content. Yeah. But I think flex but, but basis says this is our, where I want to start. But width is like, it gives it an intrinsic value. Width, and, width inside a flex box still allows it to grow. I mean, there's still flex grow still on that. I know. So it does. With, with width and flex grow, it would stop at the end of the parent width. But with flex basis, it just kept going to like the, the width of its contents. <laughs> and I was like, what? Anyway, te- reduced test case was is the point though of like yeah. breaking that problem down of like trying to figure out like oh, where is this problem where is this bug being introduced what can I pull out until the bug disappears and then put that piece back in and then figure out why that piece I put back in is causing the problem um, and that's what that reduced test case does is just like keep pulling stuff out until you get down to the bare minimum where you could still reproduce the bug. And if by yeah. pulling things out, that bug disappears, like, oh, hey, we now kind of know where that bug is, is, is coming yeah. in. And I'll you say, you know, it, it can be out. quite satisfying too when you take, you know, 80 lines of HTML or something and just delete it and you still see the problem. You're like, oh my gosh, I have really honed in dramatically already. It's actually one of my favorite things in, in the browser is that if you go to the inspector and you go see all the code down at the bottom and you click on a node, you can literally hit delete on the keyboard. Yeah, just hit delete. And it just yeah. <laughs> takes all that out. I'm like, that is so cool because you take all that out and like, if the bug is still there, you know, it's nothing to do with that code below it. And honestly, it was even in that case. So like, even after I took all that content I like out, it. I just wish it would persist a little better because it, it, sometimes you get hot and heavy with the deleting and you got you got into this perfect state and then you like, I don't know, accidentally refresh the page or something and it's all about, oh, yeah. you're like, no, I had well, it or perfect. Or if, if it's stateful, if it's React or something and yeah. you just change a little thing, it all re-renders and it's, it's all toast. But yeah, reduced test cases are, it's a huge thing that I think should be taught a lot more um, because, it, and that's what CodePen for me is, is the, how can I get mm-hmm. a repro of this? How can I try and, or, or the opposite of 
so, uh, someone will have an issue and they'll log an issue of like, I can't do X, Y, Z. And they, you know, just they complain. And I'm like, huh, I think you can do X, Y, Z. Let me go to code pen and do, 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 do. Oh, hey, here's a way you can do X, Y, Z. The props are there. It might've been a little hidden. Maybe we can, our docs be better, but you know, it is there. You can do it. Here's an example of it. So that, that's kind of the other, probably the other 50% of my code pens are trying to repro a bug or trying to demonstrate how you can do something given, you know, a particular scenario. Um, whether if you're trying to, you know, add a, a tooltip onto a slider or something like that, something I was yep. working on recently or mm. whatever the case is. Like, I need to do this with this control. Oh, that's kind of complicated. Let me let me give it a try. Um, and it's fun. I, it's that problem solving of like being given a challenge and using the tools you have to to solve that problem. And then knowing that you've unblocked someone to actually go and get the work done by by actually solving the problem. Um, yeah, that's a lot of satisfying. Fun. All very satisfying. Through. Oh that's my gosh, great. constantly. Yeah, that's a that's a feel good moment. Well, let's let's leave it at that feel good moment. Uh, <laughs> Leaving a high note. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Well, thank thanks so much for being on the show. Is there anything you for sure want to tell our listeners or anything? You know, check out Fluent UI. Uh, it's a yeah. lot of fun. We have a, a great time with it. It's at uh, GitHub slash Microsoft slash Fluent UI. Um, come check it out. Download it if you want to you know, put an issue in, um, I'll, I might look at it. <laughs> you might get that lucky. <laughs> uh, um, I also wrote a book. If you want to check it out, it's, um, it's front end architecture for design systems. Um, it's on Amazon and so forth. It's, it's a little old, but it was, it was a fun, write, And it's, it's a lot of good stories about the, um, the work I did at Red Hat, building out that original design system. Um, I still have people that random tweets about how they, you know, just read it and loved it. And I'm like, wow, Nice. Great. <laughs> I'm glad it's still slightly relevant with all the random gulp and phantom CSS stuff and, you know, other technologies completely obsolete by now. But Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah, it's it's a good read. It's it was it was a lot of fun to write. I was just looking at their reviews on on Amazon and stuff and and seeing it. You can still cuz O'Reilly, you know, and it'll probably be available for sale forever. It's got a it's got your URLs, mica.codes though. Yeah, set up I know. We're just, we're just a, I don't know why I got rid of that URL and I I got rid of that domain cuz I wasn't really using it yeah. and then didn't realize like, oh shoot, that's on my book. Oh, well, so <laughs> don't don't go to that don't, don't click that. that yeah no everybody go to micagodbolt.com yeah that hasn't been updated in a couple of years but hey it's still me yeah all right thanks thanks for uh thanks for being on the show micah we'll talk to you soon yeah. thanks for having Take me care. Chris. sure Eight.